Hi, everyone, and welcome to Oliver Wayman's Reinventing Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Paul Ricard. Today, I'm excited to welcome Meredith Ryan Reed, CEO of Versant Health. Welcome, Meredith. I'm super excited to have you here. Thank you, Paul. I'm thrilled to be here. So first of all, Meredith, would you care to uh, briefly introduce yourself and maybe also tell us a little bit about Versant? Sure. I am the CEO of Versant Health. I am new-ish in the role. I started in September, September 1st of last year. And prior to that, I was with MetLife for 10 years. And Versant is a, a wholly owned subsidiary of MetLife. So that was uh, the, the easy connection there. My, my last day at MetLife, I think, was August 31st. So I, I took uh, the night off and I started at Versant. And it's been uh, a great first year. And I'd love to start, you know, Meredith, you're a leader that I greatly admire, uh, in addition to being a great friend. You've been in a range of leadership positions throughout your career where you've been able to drive growth and reinvention. And today, I would love to take a look back at your lessons learned and perspectives from your career, and then take a look forward into what's next in terms of industry trends and innovation. Sure. Thank you for that, Paul. And I, I feel the same way about you, and it's always been a, a great uh, experience to work together. And I think um, that common interest in, you know, the work and the purpose of what we're doing and also, you know, really being a, a good listener are critically important qualities for a leader to have, but also, you know, members of a successful team. So I think I learned early in my career the importance of of being on a team and playing the role that you're supposed to play, you know, either based on your position or your unique experiences or your particular talent you bring to the team. And that doesn't mean you stay in that role and in that, you know, definition forever. But while you're there, you know, contributing uh, what, what you can uniquely contribute and seeing how that creates a better overall product or a better overall outcome has always been the part that makes work fun for me. So I, you know, learned early in, in my life that I really like to be on a team. I played a lot of sports growing up. I played division one field hockey and, and lacrosse at the university of Richmond, which was a fantastic experience. I recently went to my 25th year anniversary, which is really hard to believe, but, um, it's great. It's great to go back. Um, I, I was never one who liked to go for a run by myself or just go to the gym. I, I honestly get bored. I get bored when I have too much alone time. Um, and I'm not inspired. I get inspired by other people. I get inspired by my teammates, you know, whether I'm playing tennis with them or, or solving a big problem at work, it's what makes, you know, it fun and motivating. So I, I learned that in life early on. I, I still think of things that way. And when I was first starting to, you know, manage people or lead a team, you know, it was always about who, who I had on the team, how I could get them to bring the most of themselves and, and the most of their, um, 
their talents to whatever the problem was we were trying to solve. And then just figuring out how I attracted the right people for the right assignments or because of what they could, you know, uniquely bring to the table and how it would make the rest of us better. So I wanted to ask you a few questions on your your thoughts on a few trends that you see happening in your industry. And so Versant is obviously a, a, an important player in the in the broad and active space of health. Uh, and there is evidently a lot happening in health. Mm-hmm. So my first question to you here is, over the next three to five years, first of all, mm-hmm. what are some of the the big trends that you see happening in the health space that you're keeping a close eye on? You know, how we use data is incredibly important. What we can do to help predict certain outcomes, how we can help consumers have more information about their health is really important in general, but this is something we think we are especially well positioned to do because many people, frankly, would rather go to the eye doctor than um, their regular doctor. But for the most part, you you go to the eye doctor, it's a very um, non-invasive, easy process. And, you know, many of us think about it in terms of, you know, something's wrong or I need new glasses or these contacts aren't right. Most people aren't thinking, I'm going to go for some preventative services, um, you know, for being honest. So we really try to educate our members um, and make sure they're aware of that because there's many people who who actually would really benefit from going to the eye doctor who have perfect instead of kind of viewing it as a repair shop. If we can help people understand some of the benefits to their broader health and diagnosing things like high blood pressure or potential, you know, cardiac issues or, you know, things that are lurking in the background that people aren't even aware of. um, It's really important, you know, to, to do that before you have a problem that that becomes an emergency. And that's something we're really um, focusing on. We talk about the sort of, you know, insight, pun intended, Paul, uh, we can provide (laughs) for members and uh, patients by simply doing, you know, an annual eye exam and sharing that data back so they can be on top of things like, you know, managing diabetes and um, understanding potential impact there. So I'd say... Data, sharing that data, using that data to drive better outcomes to help people get control of their health. The the shift towards predict and prevent, away uh, away from repair and replace, which I think is a trend across health, uh, healthcare, insurance, and frankly, in other things, I'm sure the car manufacturing industry and and so on. Also using these insights, not just for vision, but there's other things as well that the inside from eye exams and all these things can help with other parts of healthcare. And so that, you know, partnering with the the broader ecosystem, the health plans and everything also helps in that direction, right? When it comes to healthcare more broadly, do you think, uh, you know, that, you know, more specialized care, that more, more, more specialized predict and prevent for specific population is the way forward? What, what's your thought on how this is going to evolve? I think, you know, a lot of what we focus on is accessibility and making it easy for people to do the right thing yep. for themselves. But we're also looking at new technology. If there are ways yep. for people to do an acuity test on their, you know, smartphone or yep. to, you know, somehow get quick pieces of feedback that help them understand, you know, I really do need to go to the eye doctor. I need to... Um, you know, have this checked out in person. Uh, we're looking at 
you know, telemedicine, all of the things that have certainly grown exponentially during COVID. Some were, you know, things that persisted. Some were things that went away after people started, um, you know, co- coming out again and and going to the doctor. Um, but we're looking at at all of those and looking at different companies that can help us provide some of those services because we know, you know, even though we have close to 41 million members. We know that people don't fully utilize their, um, their benefits or the care they have access to. And sometimes it's real functional barriers. So how do you make it really easy for them to get what they need um, and strike that balance? And I think you need to have multiple different options. I heard data and, you know, enabling predict and prevent. Mm-hmm. I heard accessibility I, I heard you talked about technology and, and technology to enable that accessibility and optionality as well, right? Yeah. What else What else is, is top of mind for you in terms of, of priorities over the next few months or a couple of years? So I think it's, um, it's, it's a broad one, but it's, it's relevant. And it's the whole concept of enabling technology, you know, whether that's AI or that's something else. Yeah. What can we use? What capabilities can we add so that the providers in our network can do their job more effectively, or they can yeah. do the parts of their job they went to school for and they trained for and their expertise yeah. benefits, you know, as opposed to some of the more administrative things that make make it harder uh, to do business with us. For our members, it's the same thing. For our employees, what can we do to make it easier for them to serve our customers? You know, what can we turn into, you know, an automatic versus five clicks? You know, how can we help them and how can we help members get the information they need faster um, so that people aren't waiting for, you know, a call back or waiting to talk to someone? If something is really simple and we have the information, how do we get it to someone instantaneously, you know, um, anticipating? Um, And I think that's going to help. You know, I know. People are are burnt out. People are, um, you know, not not as productive. You know, we're we're reading all the same articles and trying to solve the same problem. But I think if we put people against the work that they're really passionate about and they're trained to do, uh, versus a lot of the, you know, somebody I worked with used to call it administrivia, and I loved yeah. I loved that. And so that's that's a bit of our passion internally yeah. is you know this whole concept of. Uh, you know, removing those hurdles um, that have always been maybe a part of the process because the technology wasn't great, or maybe we built the technology that way because our process wasn't great. So what do we have to do to make it really intuitive? It's really exciting to see how it's going to improve not only the customer experience, but also I I think it's critically important to improve employee experience. One thing I really like also about um, generative AI is there is an element of efficiency and remove administrative, yeah, for yeah. sure. But yeah. there is also an element of actually augmenting, you know, uh, your employees, uh, your workforce's capabilities. Yeah. You would know very well, I think that's probably true in your space now, you know, yeah. in many places, the effort is more art than it is science, or, you know, it depends a lot yeah. on the prior experience and intuition and all these things. And it yeah. feels like for the first time, there is an ability to also augment that in addition yeah. to just the science. I don't know if you you had any, you have any perspectives on that. Well, you think about some of the simple things, you know, every uh, every second counts, right? Right. Uh, do any of us have like extra time we don't know what to do with? I, I don't, 
Um, <laughs> you know, and I think about the things that weigh on me all day, you know, when I make my lists and I, and I want to get to them at the end of the day is this feverish, like, I think I can get there. I think I can get there. And then Hopefully that was not a dig at me speaking with you right now on the podcast, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is enjoyable. I have one just very quick personal example. So I, I try to coach a lacrosse team in my spare time for my daughters. And, you know, I got about a 50-50 hit ratio on practice. I make all the games because they're on Saturdays and Sundays. But <clears throat> there was one trip I had to take this year, and I was going to miss our, our big playoff game. So my dear husband um, got the nod to coach the girls lacrosse game. Now, he's been a great team manager, an excellent spectator. But unlike myself, never played lacrosse, never coached lacrosse. So I wrote him a really detailed game plan. I gave him the substitutions. I gave him the whole thing. And that probably took me like, I probably thought about it for like a couple of days in the background. And then it took me, you know, probably 45 minutes to write it down. When I said to him, he writes back, oh, this is great, but I already used chat GPT. And I put in, how do I coach a girls lacrosse team sixth grade? And I said, you're joking. He said, no, I did. And he got back because I got back some great tips. And I was like, I can't even believe it. Um, But he didn't obviously have the lineup. I I had to provide. See, I was the human who had to provide the lineup, the strategy, but all the other stuff, like, you know, the rules, the whole thing. Someone else could provide that. But that that one made me laugh because um, I, I didn't realize how much he was using technology um, <laughs> on the side. And, and a very good example also of how all of this technology has made our way in our day-to-day lives. And I'm assuming, right. you know, the folks in the workforce are very much expecting the same thing now yeah. and, and kind of getting used to it in their day-to-day right. life and bringing it into the workforce, right? How do you feel... Being an executive and a CEO now versus three years ago, do you feel like the job has changed in terms of what you need to spend more or less time on, what, how you are engaging with your workforce? How has that evolved from your standpoint? I think some things have always been true, mm-hmm. right? And when I've read that other CEOs have written or read interviews or spoken with people who, who coach for a living and, you know, do all that. I I think that communication is always, uh, underplayed. I think everybody knows it's important, but the execution of great communication is really, really hard. And it's going to differ by, you know, every organization and, and culture and, and all of that. But I think it's incredibly important and something that I am always, um, struggling with, you know, uh, personally, I'm a good communicator, but it doesn't mean that I'm doing it at the right pace or hitting all the right audiences. It doesn't mean that, you know, people are getting the message they need every day. You know, it's really complicated. And I think that it's hard for organizations to pull off and it takes a lot of discipline and it yeah. takes a lot of repetition. I remember there was a lot of things we did in the past that don't work in the present and aren't going to work in the future. And so you just need to be flexible and really focus on, you know, making sure people understand why we're doing what we're doing, not just what we're doing. And that you're, you know, it's not one-way communication. It's, it's yeah. listening as much yeah. as it is speaking. 
And I think that is incredibly important too. I think that for most companies, your employees have the answers. You know, they're on the front line. They know what's working, what's not working. They're hearing from customers. Um, you need to make sure you're in tune with that. How how do you see um the workforce evolving? And you know, particularly in the health sector. We talked a little bit about technology enablement earlier and how it's 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 everywhere. You were talking a little bit about oh we're we're you know more remote now. What are how do you think this is all going to evolve? So I think we're you know we're adapting to the flexibility that people crave and what people yep. learned during COVID about how they yep. would thrive under extraordinary yep. circumstances. I think people are have a lot more clarity around what's important to them yep. now. You know, I think when you challenge a lot of the basic assumptions, they aren't things that are going to persist forever. You know, yep. I think it's like, oh, I, I get up every day, I get on the train, I go to work. That's what I do. I work yep. in this city. This is where I've organized my life around. This is what happens. When some of those things aren't given anymore and you have to focus on the work, the delivery, the purpose you start to understand what what really matters and and what might not be as important. Um, I don't have any predictions on you know what what that means from you know the the tactical part of it, you know, where people are and and what they're going to be doing, but I think that if you make the work really meaningful and progressive, meaning you're a company that's showing you're fixing problems, you're improving, you're investing, you're building capabilities, you're delighting customers, you're improving the experience. People want to be a part of that. They also want to be a part of something that um, is a real community and people care about each other. You know, I've, I've read a lot on happiness and, and watched a couple of good documentaries. Um, it's not about having, you know, being in the right industry, getting the right salary, for a lot of people, it's about flow, you know, feeling like they're a part of something and, and the right community. So <clears throat> if you can build that, I think that's, that's going to be the secret to success. And, and that has, you know, that's going to be different for, for many companies. Uh, we're actively looking at ways to bring our employees together for purpose. You know, right. clearly we're going to get together at this interval this is right. what we're going to do when we're together. We're going to incorporate some real social stuff in that um, interaction too, but we're going to have a very clear mission so that we're really efficient with our time. And I've always believed this too. If people have to get on an airplane or they have to you know, leave their, their family and, and go away for a few nights, you better make it meaningful. And so it has to involve time with customers, time with colleagues, you know, really learning something, investing in people. So a, a part of you know, our focus too is when we bring our employees together, it's about the problems we're trying to solve. It's about our strategy. It's about our plan. But there's always an element of personal development. I think some of the most meaningful meetings that I've been to in the past are when I've met colleagues from around the world and you know, we only see each other every other year. But I remember that experience together. So I think it's about building really great experiences. And that takes a lot of planning and a lot of discipline. It's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen just if we show up in the same place every day. We have to have a real agenda. We have to be thoughtful. We have to follow up. We have to prep before we get together. And it's just a different 
a different way of working. Um, but that's, you know, it's a continual experiment. We're always working on it. Meredith, what were some of your early career experiences and how did these build a foundation for your leadership journey? I knew when I was in those early sales roles that I wanted to get into management in general, general management and more of a leadership role. Even though, you know, when you're a salesperson, you're really leading a lot of different teams and you have to manage through influence and persuasion and you have to figure out how to motivate people and how to get them to give you their discretionary uh, effort. And you have to get, you know, whoever is buying from you to really trust you and you have to deliver and you're really selling your own and your company, but, but your own brand too. You got to be the person who's is going to get it done for them and the person that they trust. So, you know, th- those were great ways for me to get really good experience and prove myself early on. Um, and then I knew I wanted to move into, you know, getting the right skills to manage uh, broader P&Ls, to understand different parts of the business. Um, when I, I was recruited by AIG, um, when I was in New York with Cigna, and I, I loved the idea that they were a global Fortune 10 company, AAA rated. What could go wrong, Paul? What could go wrong? But I was there. 2004 to 2009. So I was there during the financial crisis and that changed my worldview, of course. But, you know, I learned so much there. It was a great experience. The people were terrific. I still have a lot of mentors that came um, from AIG and it really taught me, you know, so much um, about leadership, about opportunity, about innovation, seizing new um, you know, sort of like market opportunities, building new products, taking risks. You know, that was <clears throat> an important part of the the culture and really centering everything around <clears throat> the concept of uh, profit, not just top line growth. You know, AIG sort of prided itself on underwriting earnings and, you know, really understanding risk. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm hearing teaming, trust, taking risks, yeah. profit versus revenue. One more question that is moving into this. What are your golden leadership principles? I think you really have to get people to trust you if they're going to follow you. And the way you do that is by being authentic. And it doesn't mean you're always saying things people want to hear. In fact, a lot of times you're not. And when you show people um, that, honesty, but also you do it with, you know, kindness and, and make it about the problem you're trying to solve. I think you do, um, you build that trust with people and it doesn't take a lot. I I think sometimes people get into leadership positions and they think they have to act a certain way and they lose some of who they are. But I think people forgive a lot if, if you are sort of who you are and you're fair with them. Um, and it doesn't mean you you can tell people everything, you know, certainly are times you have to, um, you know, keep things confidential and there's, you know, um, there's a lot of challenges, but, you know, when you build that trust with people, you'll get more from them. Um, they'll give you their better ideas. They'll give you that discretionary effort. They'll, you know, want to, want to be at the the company longer. They'll want to encourage other people to join. And <clears throat> that all just kind of creates that momentum that you need. Um, that helps you get through tough times. That helps you get through big problems. And, 
you know, I look for people who have broad capacity, are problem solvers, and are also really good with people. I mean, I think it's, you know, I made a joke at one point, someone joined my team and, and asked someone else, you know, what do I need to know about being on Meredith's team? And he said, collaborate or die, man. You just have to collaborate. And I thought that was the funniest line, like collaborate or die. Collaborate or die. I love this. Really, really dramatic. I don't know um, if we'll be allowed to use this as a title for this podcast, but that's a cool, no, that's a cool one. <laughs> Giving you all my good book ideas. And it, I mean, it was just kind of true. I mean, you just, I've just always learned you can't get anywhere by yourself. You know, you really have to bring people along and you need their thinking. You know, I, I really value the relationships I have with my partners who are on the technology side or my legal partners or, you know, a brilliant accountant who can really help me because they have very deep expertise in areas that I don't. And I need, I need to trust them. I need to trust that they know what they're doing and that they're giving me good advice. Having had the chance to work uh, closely with you, you know, one thing, I think you've been great to your point, bringing a lot of different people into, into a same direction, which I'm sure is something that's very, very crucial for you day in and day out. A lot of the elements you're mentioning around collaborating, around teaming, around trust, taking risks, and also the focus on profit. It's almost it's not about, to your point, different folks with different points of views or backgrounds challenging or being plotted against each other. It's them challenging each other towards a greater objective. Yeah. And, and it seems like this is very much something that's that's core to your to your beliefs as well, if I if I play back what you're telling me. Yeah, it, it completely is. Because I think that, you know, the best teammates, you can be competitive with each other, but you can't, you know, actively seek each other's destruction. <laughs> it's just not helpful. So I've been on those kind of teams before and just the dynamics exhausting It exhausts everybody else around you. So, you know, when you have a group of people that genuinely care about each other and want each other to do well, you're just going to have more success. So, you know, kind of getting rid of that self self-defeating behavior is if I see it, you know, I change it or I change the people. Um, and you know, everybody know. I, I think it's really important that everyone knows the, the ground rules of what's acceptable, what's not. And, and also, you know, you gotta, you gotta get results. You know, we, we have to do better for our customers. You know, if we're hitting all our metrics, it's like, are those really the right metrics? Are we doing the best that we can be doing? Um, and also making it uh, easier for the people who, who do the real work in the organization day in, day out, how are we making it easier for them to do their jobs? Because if we get that right, we'll get it right for customers too. And I think, you know, one of the things I've learned is you really have to listen to the people who are touching customers. I always believed, you know, your salespeople, your service teams will give you the answers to the test, right? They know what's not working well. They know the things that they struggle with every day that could be better. And that's ultimately, you know, driving the customer experience. What do you feel is the mindset of a visionary leader? You, you always have to have that learning mindset. You have to be curious. If you're not curious, you're going to miss something. If you have your, your head down and you think nothing around you is going to change, you're, you're just wrong. Um, things are always changing. Market forces are always changing. Consumer behavior is always changing. And you have to have a very strong external 
in focus if you're going to survive, if you're going to be successful. And fortunately, I, I like to read a lot. I like to talk to a lot of different people. I have, you know, I consume much more than I even realize I'm consuming. And I think our iPhones and iPads have made it easier than ever, but like, I never, I never just close my eyes on a train and sleep. I, I am always, you know, sort of scanning, listening to something, figuring out how things connect. And it, it just, it's, it's mode. It's energizing to me. It- At MetLife, you drove innovation, reinvention, transformation in a range of roles over the years. Tell us a little bit about your MetLife journey. So when MetLife called, I took it very seriously because I knew, you know, they didn't often go, go outside for talent at, at this level. Uh, so I was really interested. I knew it was a great place to work and, and was happy to work with a lot of the uh, software companies and the benefit technology companies and you know, the HR technology companies that were really uh, becoming huge players in the space. Worked with all the national and global brokers, you know, had responsibility for supplemental compensation plans and, and then was responsible for all of our product wholesalers. So you know, Met has a huge product portfolio, and we have a group of you know people who are real deep experts on each one of those products. And you know, so how do you put all those pieces together and really support you know the sales teams, support customers, work with brokers? You know, it's a lot. It's a huge business, and they're you know in every market, uh, every size, and got involved in financial wellness. And obviously, that's when when you and I met, and we decided we wanted to build an app that would help people navigate their financial lives, learn more, a place where they felt safe, things were you know accessible, they could get information, but also tools that would help them uh, be better, do better. Um, and it was just really interesting. Did some fascinating research, you know, got to, to work with all of you. That was all terrific. And navigate, you know, figure out where, where this fit in, how would people use it, um, how could we bring this forward as a tool that would help um, sort of support the broader strategies of you know the benefits uh, professionals we were working with, but also help people make progress in their lives? You know what you mentioned so far. I can hear the the curiosity, the teaming, the taking risks, oh, yeah. uh, and all these things uh, yeah. showing up again here, yeah. right? <laughs> yes, and, and really fun to work with a totally different group of people. You know, I wasn't interacting with the normal set of underwriters and sales teams that I, I normally would. But this was, you know, working with real product designers, working with people who are experts in you know, user experience and, um, you know, developers. It was a totally different uh, group of people and, and so interesting. As we continue to look forward, tell us a little bit more about your current position as the CEO of Person Health. The opportunity uh, arose to um, lead First in Health after um, MetLife uh, had acquired the company and, and gone through some of the transition. And I thought that was really interesting, kind of uh, a next uh, step that made a lot of sense and would give me you know, a whole other set of experiences, um, but was also a great business. You know, a billion and a half of, of revenue, a thousand people, you know, really um, broad customer reach, 41 million members. And in a business, you know, the, the, the government business as, you know, the, the Medicaid, Medicare business, which I hadn't 
had as much exposure to uh, would really, again, create another uh, great learning opportunity, but was also purpose-driven. You know, we really are, are doing something that matters and glasses are important. Your vision health is really important. And uh, I was interested in that. So, you know, uh, definitely jumped at that opportunity. Can you tell me now as the CEO of Versant, tell me about your priorities or what are what are the most important things uh, for you going forward? Well, we always uh, want to exceed our financial plan and our commitments. And I think we're, we're really making a shift toward um, where we think we um, do very well and investing heavily in, in those areas. So really focusing on uh, where there's, there's real value in the business for us and where we think we have a unique right to win. And so reducing, you know, some of the things on the list, but really focusing on the top priorities um, to grow this business profitably and to deliver, you know, an even better customer experience to invest in innovation. I mean, there's so much uh, innovation and technology in this industry. Uh, that part's been very, again, stimulating for me. You know, I just saw, I don't know, every day you you hear or see, see something different um, and it's, it's fascinating. So uh, that's that's a lot of where we're focused. Obviously, I've always been focused on talent, but particularly coming into a new organization, um, you know, making some some tough calls and bringing in a couple uh, key people who you know really are going to be, um, you know, I like to say force force multipliers for the company um, who can do those things um, I talked about earlier. You know, broad capacity, uh, passion. For the business, um, ability to bring people along and, and help them do more than they thought they could. And that part is exciting to me too. It, you know, it's such a, you can start to breathe a little easier as the leader when you look around the room and you see, oh, I got the right people here. And, they, and they're going to surprise me in each one-on-one with something they've made progress on, or they've, they've come up with a new idea. You know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had time to think of, um, by myself. And I, I love that. And then making sure we're really driving a, a customer uh, focused culture. So what are the things we can take action on? Um, what are the things we shouldn't be living with? You know, get rid of it, fix it, fix the process, get the right enabling technology, because certainly delivers a better customer experience, but also makes it a much better work experience for our associates. And that's critically important. And as we continue to innovate in the age of acceleration, as we like to call it, what are the big trends that you keep a close eye on? And what's on your mind as a visionary leader in the health sector? I also think, you know, the aging, um, the growth in the aging population is something people have talked about for a really long time. But for our particular set of products, it's very important. And I think there's a lot of potential partnerships for us and you know, combinations of things that really make sense um, and are a big need. And so we're, you know, we're really um, focused on that. And then just like, like anything else, you know, focusing on connecting with our customer base and engaging people and showing them how to use, use their benefits to their advantage, you know, like how do you, how do you put this whole thing together and get the most out of it? I mean, there's a lot more I would love to discuss with you and, and I could spend a lot more time together, but unfortunately we're coming up on time. So, you know, my, my final question that I always love to ask is, you know, what are your 
your final words of wisdom for our audience, Meredith? Oh, words of wisdom. I have a couple ones that I use for myself. I do think, you know, one of my favorites is the only way out is through. And whether, you know, that's in an Alanis Morissette song, which it is, or it was credited to Winston Churchill. We're not sure someone can fact check that, but I always like that one, especially if you're going through a difficult time, you just have to kind of go through it and get through it and get through it together um, and, and find the way forward. I think everybody thinks that they're always living through the biggest change ever in the history of the world. And there'll never be another change like this. And then you realize how wrong you were uh, a few years later. So whatever we think it is right now, we're, we're not going to be right. Uh, but you do have to prepare for a couple of likely scenarios and occasionally an extremely unlikely scenario. Um, that's usually when you get in the most trouble is when the thing happens, you least expect. Um, but I think if you are true to your customers, you're true to your purpose, a lot of the other stuff takes care of itself. So just remembering what you're there to do, that unique role that you play where you can add value and you don't get too caught up in the other things you, you're not real good at, or you can't really control. Like I can't control interest rates. I don't, that's not what I'm doing every day. I can understand how it's going to impact my business, but I have to, I have to do the work I have to do. I have to make sure we're as productive as possible. You know, I have to make sure we're innovating. I have to make sure we're taking excellent care, you know, of our customers. Um, but I, you know, I can't get too wrapped up in, in, you know, different scenarios I don't control. So, so that's what, you know, we're really trying to do is, is be very clear about our purpose and our priorities um, you know, make it a great place to work and, and deliver a great experience. So that's what we're trying to do. Well, Meredith, it was an immense pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for this. I'm sure a lot of folks would enjoy these good words from you. Well, thank you, Paul. As I told you years ago, when we were doing customer research, I think you're an excellent interviewer. So <laughs> I know you're not going to quit your day job and this is sort of a part That's of it, a, but uh, always. it's always a pleasure uh, talking to you. So thank you uh, for inviting thank me. Thank you so much. That was Meredith Ryan-Reed, CEO of Versant Health. I'm Paul Ricard. Thanks for listening and see you next time. For more information about our Reinventing Insurance series, you can find everything on our website at oliverweinman.com slash reinventinginsurance. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.